0: Tales of the Travelling Bag by Griselda Hill Narrated by William Merrin Hill. On his first adventure into the wide world beyond the nest, Jerry the gerbil meets Jesus. With the help of his human friends Joanna and Joel, he becomes a disciple and accompanies Jesus throughout his travels and ministry. Tale number seven. Ropes and Rooftops Mark 2, Verses 1 to 12 The warm sunbeams caressed the worn ruggedness of the weather-beaten carrying bag as it slumped against the stone walls of the inner courtyard of Peter's house in Capernaum. Deep in the recesses of the baggy wrinkles, amongst the worn knives and tangled string, the soft polishing cloth and the wooden awls slept Jerry and Billy. They slept soundly, their tails twitching at remembered excitements and their whiskers whiffling at the tantalizing scents from outside that occasionally wafted their way down through the sagging leather. Clomping feet entered the gate and protesting wicker baskets creaked as they were dumped in a row next to the bag. The strong weedy smell of fish permeated the air And Jerry woke suddenly. He sniffed. Fish, he cried, poking his brother. Billy buried his nose in the cloth and grunted. Hey, wake up, it's morning and the boats are back. Fish for breakfast and yesterday's delicious leftovers, cried Jerry, as he bounced out, running along behind the baskets to his favorite vantage point on the steps leading up to the roof. The fishermen were crowding into the kitchen. "'calling greetings to the occupants of the house "'who were tumbling out sleepily rubbing their eyes "'and straightening their tousled hair. "'You've been a Mr. Gooden's morning,' bawled a bright and breezy voice. "'It was old Zebedee. "'They fish was just a-giving themselves to us. "'If they'd have been the two boats, "'we'd have filled the old market. "'Just take a look-see at this big'un.' "'And he slapped a fat fish down on the nearby table.' Jerry regarded the fish balefully through narrowed eyes. He had never quite gotten over his experience of nearly being swallowed by such a monster, although he was fully able to forget this when the chance of a meal came his way. He simply loved the taste of fish, crisp, fresh fish straight out of the lake, baked over an open fire, white, flaky flesh and the juices running freely but he preferred not to think about where it came from. Living by the lake really suited him. He only wished all his family could live in such a place. Thinking of them caused a wave of nostalgia to sweep over him for the worn, dusty cobbles of the market place and the tall, shapely pillars of the serene, musty-smelling synagogue where he had been born. Shaking himself... With the promise that he would be seeing his father and mother soon, at Passover time, he turned to the matter at hand. Breakfast and the day. Zebedee was slapping a blushing, unshaven Peter on the back. So, you walked on water. T'were a wild night to be sure, answered Peter, falling easily into the slow fisherman's speech of his youth. We needed that line, I can tell you. "'But that Jesus, O yourn he didn't take no lying,' said Zebedee, shading his eyes and looking up the hillside. "'Here he comes now. "'Beats me how he keeps going with all that praying after the night.' "'Every night's the same,' said John, joining them. "'Passes everything through his father.' "'His father,' said Zebedee, suddenly serious and looking quizzically at his son. "'Not son of Abraham.' "'He doesn't call himself a son of Abraham.' John nodded. "'That too, but I think so. "'Yes, I think that God really is his father. "'He calls him Abba, Daddy.' He sat down on the low wall and Jerry moved closer to listen. "'Sit down, Dad. "'I want to talk to you.' John patted the stone beside him. The three men sat together. Peter had a handful of figs, which he now shared with them. John took one, but he didn't eat it. His face had an earnest look, and as he spoke, he waved his hands in the air to emphasise what he was saying. "'See, Dad,' he began, "'it began with that great catch of fish.' Zebedee interrupted him. "'I remember that well,' he said, nodding sagely. "'I thought at first that we'd just been in the right place at the right time. "'It happens occasionally.' "'Then at Cana, that business over the wine at the wedding. "'I'd have passed it off, "'thinking that they'd found a new stash "'that had been forgotten. "'If I hadn't seen the miracle for myself. "'I saw Jesus do it. "'Water became wine, good wine at that. "'I still didn't really think much about it. "'Not until yesterday, that is. "'At the picnic,' suggested Peter. "'Yes, the picnic.' "'Andrew was the one who brought the boy to Jesus, "'and he swears that there were only five loaves and two fish in the basket. "'I saw Jesus pick it up,' broke in Peter excitedly. "'He lifted the bread up to say grace, as he always does. "'You know that way he has. "'And when he put it in the basket, "'the bread sort of grew and completely filled it to the top. "'There were about five thousand people on that hillside, Dad, "'and they all ate until they were full.' said John. ''And we brought masses back. That's why you were all asked to drop in for breakfast,'' added Peter. ''Just you wait till you taste it.'' ''Then last night,'' began John. Zebedee's head slewed round and he stared hard at Peter. ''Last night, when the wind was high and we weren't making any headway against the waves, Jesus came to see us on the water. And I mean on the water.'' "'He was walking on top of the waves!' "'Zebedee pointed at Peter, narrowing his eyes. "'And you, Peter the fisherman, walked on the water too?' "'He asked sceptically. "'Peter nodded emphatically. "'I did. I walked on the waves, and then... "'He fell in because he took his eyes off Jesus,' said John, grinning. "'Are you kidding me, son?' Zebedee pulled John's lean, tanned face towards him and stared with burning eyes into the sincere brown ones that he knew so well. John stared back, frankly and openly. No, Dad, I was never more serious in my life. This Jesus, this man isn't anything like us. He's something different. After a moment, Zebedee's hands dropped and he sat back, staring into the distance. Gulls were screaming overhead. "'You always was an honest'un,' he mused quietly. "'You see, Dad, I've been thinking. Our Jesus is like Moses. Remember the manna in the wilderness when God fed the people, and... and Elisha with the jar of oil that never gave out, and that story of how he fed a hundred soldiers with only twenty small barley cakes?' Jesus has provided bread and wine in an even more spectacular way. Then there's Elijah too. Remember how he prayed for rain during that three-year drought and it rained so hard that the king got soaked in his chariot and had to go home? Jesus has power over the elements like that. He's like all the prophets rolled into one, only better. He waved his hands in the air to emphasize the point and the fig he had been holding fell from his fingers into his lap. "'But the son of God!' mused Zebedee. He shook his head disbelievingly. "'He's going up country soon, and I want to go with him, Dad. Could you manage with the boat for a while?' asked John. Zebedee thought for a moment, and then smiled. "'You've always been a good lad. Go on with you. We'll manage fine.' Just don't get into mischief, he said, dusting off his coat and standing up stiffly. That goes for your brother too. You've earned it. Just then, Jesus strolled in through the gate. Smells good, he said. Fried fish for breakfast? Was the fishing good this morning? He asked Zebedee. Zebedee stared at him unseeing, mumbled something and stepped into the kitchen. John said, don't mind him. He's given permission for us two to come with you. I expect it rather shocked him. He rose to his feet. The forgotten fig rolled down his tunic and into the dust. There was a sudden shout of laughter from the house, and Peter gave Jesus a little push towards the kitchen. Come and eat, he said. I don't know where you get your energy. Don't you? asked Jesus, half seriously. I've got an appetite, too, he added, and laughed. They went in. Billy appeared out of nowhere and snaffled the fig. Jerry yawned and stretched. I knew it, he said, more to himself than anyone. My master is the son of God. I don't know why the others can't see it yet. Who else could he be? He shook his head and went to look for leftovers, leaving Billy sucking his paws in the sunshine. It was while he and Billy were enjoying a fish tale together later on that they heard the news. Joanna and Joel were returning and would be there that afternoon. Both gerbils were very excited, for Joanna had been Jerry's first friend. Ever since she had offered him a ride in her basket to meet the baptizer, he had loved her. Indeed, without her he would never have met the master. Now she was coming to Capernaum and Jerry could hardly wait. All that long morning the gerbils crouched on the wall watching the people as they walked the winding road that led up the steep hills towards Nazareth. Good news travels fast, and in no time people were hurrying along the beach and up towards the house. Word had spread that the master was there and would see all who came. He was famous for his stories and his wit, but most of all for his healing touch that changed lives forever. They flocked to him to be healed, and they stayed to hear. The crowd in the courtyard grew thicker and noisier. As midday approached, Jerry saw a group of people coming down the road towards the house. They were trying to hurry, but were hampered by the stretcher they were carrying. To his excitement, he recognized the graceful, swaying walk of his friend Joanna. She had arrived. Squeaking with delight, he leapt off the wall and scampered up the road. No one else noticed a small brown gerbil. But Joanna had been on the lookout, and her face broke into a big grin as she recognized the scurrying form. He hasn't forgotten me, she said to Joel. He changed hands with the pole he was carrying and wiped his forehead. ''Probably thinks he brought food,'' he said slyly. Joanna giggled. ''That too,'' she said. Jerry stopped before he reached her. Suddenly, he was shy. ''Why should she remember me?'' he asked himself. ''Why would she even want to?'' ''I ate her sandwiches.'' The group went on towards the harbour, but Joanna stayed. She bent and flicked her fingers to entice the gerbil nearer. Jerry was hesitant. He took a step forward, and another, and then backed up. Joanna laughed. Sandwich thief, she whispered. I have so much to tell you, he gabbled. But she couldn't hear, only the master could understand what he said. Instead. His bright eyes shone adoringly at her as he continued. I travel with the master now, his furry disciple, he says. We have such adventures. Last night. I wish we could talk, said Joanna wistfully. I know you have lots to say, but I don't understand. Never mind. Why don't you show me where the master is today? We have a friend who must see him. Jerry nodded, bounced up, and began to hop down the road in front of her. Joanna picked up her long skirts and began to trot after him, talking as she went. The words were jerky, and he couldn't hear all of them, but Jerry got the gist of it. "'Joel's friend from Nazareth,' she said. "'Hard worker fell off the threshing last year, and broke his back and can't move, bringing see Jesus.'" Together they reached the harbour. Joel and the others had put the stretcher down and were looking around. "'This way,' called Joanna, as she ran past them and followed the gerbil up the main street. Peter's courtyard opened onto this street, but there was a huge crowd already inside, and the house itself was full. "'Excuse me,' said Joanna, attempting to pass a large man who was blocking the doorway. "'Forget it,' was the answer. "'You haven't a hope.' "'But we must get in.' "'Explained Joanna. "'Our friend needs to see Jesus. "'We want Jesus to heal him.' "'Then you should have come earlier. "'All the healings were this morning. "'The master's talking now,' said a woman briskly, "'turning and looking back over her shoulder at Joanna. "'Can't interrupt him. "'Should have come earlier.' "'But we came as quickly as we could. "'It's taken us two days. "'We've carried our friend all the way from Nazareth. "'We must get him to Jesus,' protested Joanna." "'A man seized her shoulder from behind and moved her out of the way, "'pushing her against the steps so that she stumbled and sat down hard. "'He glared down at her, coldly arching his eyebrows. "'Too bad,' he said with a sneer. "'He's sick like that because he's a sinner. "'He's done it to himself. "'The master shouldn't waste his time on a sinner like that.' "'No, he slipped in the barn. "'He's a nice, good man.' Don't believe you, he's sick because he's a sinner. Get him out of here, was the reply. But, began Joanna again. But the man had moved forward through the crowd, which squeezed back to let him through, and he was out of sight. Don't bother, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the likes of him. Beats me why he's here at all. He's a Pharisee, always gives the master a hard time, grumbled the large man. From Nazareth, eh? Joanna nodded. Word gets around, he said. You better wait until later. He always sees everyone who comes. Joanna nodded and made a face at Joel. We'll have to wait, she mouthed. She left the crowd and joined the others outside. Billy nudged Jerry. Come up on the roof, he said to his brother. You can see and hear from there. They scampered up the steps to the flat roof and sat on the low parapet that ran round the edge of the building. Without any shade, it was very hot up there, and the place was deserted. Leaning over, Jerry could see the courtyard below. It was paved with marble, and there was a fountain playing in the centre, the sunlight catching the glittering drops as they splashed in a sparkling cascade into the small pool. Around the edge of the courtyard was a covered walk, and an awning was stretched across one end. It was beneath this awning that the master stood, surrounded by a seething, excited throng. He was talking. Jerry strained forward to listen. Billy wandered across the roof to a pile of barley straw. It had been threshed, but a few stalks still retained their heavy golden-brown heads. Selecting two, he pulled them from the pile and returned, dragging them behind him. The brothers sat and munched, holding the heavy ears delicately between their tiny paws. A spider emerged from a pile of jumbled nets that were heaped near the straw. Seeing the gerbils, and knowing their liking for a snack, it scuttled to the parapet, and fastening its thread of silk to a stone, proceeded to swing down into safety. Billy grunted and reached out, but he was too late, the spider was already rappelling into the courtyard. Jerry felt a nudge. It's going to land on the head of that man who was so rude to Joanna, sniggered Billy. Jerry watched with amused interest. Just as they were certain it would drop, the spider thought better of it and swung down past the man and out of sight near the ground. But not before Jerry had had an idea. Quick, Billy, we can do what the spider did. Find another spider, will you? I'm getting Joanna. He cried, and galloped across the roof and down the steps, tumbling in his haste to reach the bottom. A few moments later, Joanna felt a tugging at her skirt and looked down to see the gerbil pulling the embroidered linen with his teeth. She smiled. I don't suppose you know how we can reach the master, do you, little one? she said quietly. There are just so many people here. For an answer, the little gerbil pulled at her skirt again. "'jerking her in the direction of the stone staircase. "'You want me to come with you?' she asked him, pointing to the steps. "'Jerry sprang up the first three. "'Joanna turned to Joel. "'Wait here a moment,' she said, leaving the crowd and following Jerry. "'Billy was at the top, clutching a violently wriggling spider. "'As Joanna looked down, Jerry told Billy to let it go.' Unwilling to tread on the harmless little creature, Joanna lifted her skirts and it scuttled past, leapt off the parapet and swung down into safety. Joanna frowned, then turned to the two gerbils who stood there watching her intently with their beady black eyes. Suddenly, her brow cleared and she was galvanized into action, moving swiftly across the rooftop and onto the top of the steps. Waving her arms, she mouthed, Come up here, to the waiting Joel below. He indicated the stretcher and she nodded, jerking her thumb towards the far end of the roof. Joel spoke to the others and holding the poles tightly, they began to ascend the steps, the stretcher sloping at an alarming angle. Joanna reached down and caught the man's shoulders and they managed to make the roof in safety. Why the roof? asked Joel as soon as they had put the stretcher down and he was able to make himself heard above the sounds of the crowd. Can we hear better from up here? Joanna shook her head. No, not really, but we can see the master down there. Look, he's under the end bit of awning and we can get round to it from here, said Joanna. Joel lifted his hands. It isn't going to help much. He's not going to be able to see us from there, he said. The roof's in the way, we won't see or hear better, but we can let the stretcher down over everyone's heads, cried Joanna. We can lower him right to the master's feet, and the crowd below will simply have to move out of the way. Joel stared, and his face broke into a big grin. Right, he said, good thinking. Joanna winked at Jerry, who was standing out of the way. Jerry elbowed Billy. Billy. After all, it was almost his idea in the first place, so he should take the credit. It wasn't my idea, she admitted. I suppose the gerbils told you, asked Joel facetiously. We need ropes, he continued. He looked around. Ropes, said Jerry quickly. Billy, have you seen any? Billy hopped off the parapet and ran across the roof to the pile of straw. I saw some over here, he cried. The two gerbils scuffled through the pile of straw that remained from the harvest threshing. Sure enough, beneath the golden stems lay a dusty coil of worn, oiled rope. Jerry bounced up and down and caught Joanna's attention. Told you, she said to Joel, pointing towards him. They've already thought of it. One of the stretcher bearers scrabbled through the straw, seized the rope and brought it over. Joanna was shading their friend from the fierce sunlight with a leafy branch. "'Reuben,' she said gently. The man opened his eyes. His face was grey and lined with pain, and his eyes wandered around the rooftop, focusing on Joanna's only with difficulty. She smiled. "'We've found the master,' she began. "'Not much longer now. Stay with us. This might be a little uncomfortable.' Reuben groaned in answer. Joel slipped the rope under Reuben's shoulders, knotting it firmly on his chest and running another loop under the sleeping mat by his knees. He held the four loops in his hand. "'Tuck in his sleeves so his arms don't flop,' he ordered. Joanna folded them across Reuben's chest and twisted them into his belt. Across the roof, the three bearers were busy. Center courtyards were a common sight in Palestine, and were often covered with a canvas awning that could be used either for shade or for shelter from the rain. It was stretched out with cords, and could easily be removed or rolled up. Peter obviously left his awning out in all weathers, as it was faded and stiff from constant sun and rain. It also was covered with lumps of plaster, weeds, sprouting seeds, and the residue of dust left by the lake wind. This unyielding mass hampered the bearers as they struggled to lower their friend to the ground. Just as they thought they had things under control, there was a ripping, tearing sound as the awning parted company with its poles and a large portion tipped downwards into the courtyard. There were cries as a cascade of bird droppings and fleeing beetles descended on the unsuspecting and unprotected heads of the crowd below. Joanna's worried face peered through the gap. "'I'm so sorry! I'm so sorry!' she cried. Furious voices answered her, and fists were shaken as people surged backwards and out of the way. But the master put out his hands to calm them. "'Keep going!' cried Joel. "'We're going to have to pay for a new roof anyway, so we may as well do the job properly. Let the ropes down!' "'Joanna!' Guide Reuben through the hole. Carefully, carefully! The ropes were paid out slowly, and in a series of jerks, Reuben's limp body descended towards the marble slabs of the courtyard. The shower of dirt was nothing to the mess that followed as the sleeping mat and ropes appeared through the hole. Joanna saw the master's face. His hand covered his mouth, hiding a smile. But she saw that his eyes were twinkling. Oh, good, she thought, he could have been angry. Immediately a voice came into her head. Angry? Angry that friends should care so much and try so hard? No, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. It is the faith of his friends that will heal him. She frowned. Now, where could that have come from? she asked herself. But there was no time for an answer. Reuben was proving heavier than the friends had thought, and the closer he came to the ground the quicker he went. But willing hands prevented him falling and lowered him to rest right at the master's feet. A shadow fell across Reuben's face, and he looked up to see the master's smiling and full of compassion. Twinkling brown eyes met his pain racked grey. And in that instant, the whole of Reuben's life flashed before his eyes. He saw himself as a boy, straight and tall, learning the Torah and worshipping in the synagogue. Then, as he grew up, the gradual dropping away of a relationship with God, a slackening of good habits, and a liking for a reckless, wild life. But most of all, he saw with shame the times he had failed his family, his friends. And his God. Aware only of his faults, Reuben didn't see what the Master saw. The hard worker, the good friend, the man who was willing to help anyone, the one who always put himself last. As Reuben gazed into the Master's face, he became aware only of an overwhelming love that cancelled forever his sins. This was no ordinary preacher that his friends had brought him to meet. This was love itself. The eyes held him, steady, reassuring. "'I am so very sorry,' Reuben mouthed through thin, slack lips, his eyes filled with tears, blurring the face that smiled down. "'Take courage,' said the master. "'Your sins are forgiven.' The crowd was suddenly silent. Forgiveness washed over Reuben like a flood. His heart sang for joy. You can't say that, shouted the Pharisee who had pushed Joanna. He elbowed his way forward and confronted the master angrily. The master looked at him sadly. A murmur rippled across the crowd. You can't forgive sins, that would be blasphemy spat the Pharisee. Only God can forgive sins. The master's gaze never left the Pharisee's face as he said sternly. Why are you thinking like this? The Pharisee reddened and dropped his eyes. What is it with this so-called son of man? He thought. He sees right inside me. He probes my very thoughts. The master was speaking to him. You think it's easier to forgive sins because you can't see the miracle? I will show you that the Son of Man has God's authority to forgive sin and do miracles. And he turned towards Reuben. His commanding voice rang out across the courtyard. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Suddenly Reuben felt a rushing through his body like a mighty wind. It filled every part with a vibrancy and strength that he had never felt before. He felt as if he was going to burst. God Himself had spoken. The Master had commanded, and it would be done. He was a new man, with a fresh start. Instantly he leapt to his feet with a great shout of joy, startling the crowd. Sweeping the mat into his arms, he bounded through them and out into the street, leaving the courtyard in utter turmoil. Down the road he ran, forgetting his friends and his thanks in his zeal to praise God in his life for ever. By the time Joel and his friends had reached the roadway, Reuben was almost out of sight up the hill towards Nazareth and his home. The excited crowd was spilling out of the courtyard and down towards the harbour. Behind them slunk the Pharisee as quickly as his important rank would allow, his face downcast, his guilt heavy upon him, and a desire in his heart to hide in a dark, dark place for a long, long time. Joel threw the coil of rope up the steps and stood the stretcher poles against the wall. "We won't need to carry these home," he laughed. "Reuben'll be there long before we are.